This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. We have, have a lot of folks here today, and, and, and I don't know when you first began attending Nags Head Church. First time I was here, like so many people, was when I was on, Gail and I were on vacation in 1978. We were living in Southern California, and so we're going to go vacation on the Outer Banks. So we flew across country and came and spent a week in Kill Devil Hills, and Sunday came around, and where are we going to go to church? I said, well, I don't know. There's this big Baptist church over Manio, but I don't want to go that far. How about you? You know, got to cross a bridge. And uh, so but there's that little white Baptist church there. Let's, let's go there. And that was our first experience with Nags Head Church. And I remember, I remember very distinctly sitting in that service. And I was a young youth pastor, 23 years old, living on the other side of the country, thinking this would be a cool place to be a pastor. And that, you know, and I had no idea that 15 years later, 13 years later, I would be pastoring the same church. That's how God, how God does things. But we've got folks sprinkled around, and the first time you came to church was when? We want to find out, all right? So let's, uh, let's do it this way. Is there anybody here that began attending this church back in the little white building in the 1950s? Anybody from the 1950s? I see... Go back to the 40s. Stand up, Stanley Beecham. Would you stand up? God bless you. The 1940s. You're older than dirt, buddy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, all right, 19, 1950s. Stand. Well, that's all right. That's, and, and who are you? All right, Jenny's daddy was the first pastor of this church. We're going to show a picture of him and your grandma in just a minute. All right? All right, 1950s. God bless you. Uh, anybody here that started in the 1960s began attending this church in the 60s? Right, we had one in the last gathering, Terry Gray, and I told a story about him writing in red magic marker on the men's room door. <laughs> His name, Terry Gray, and it was there, uh, as long as that door was there until 2007, that his name was on that door. So we knew Terry went to the bathroom at church. Um, <laughs> 1970s. Anybody begin? Stand, please. If you began attending here in the 1970s, stand, 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 stand. All right, God bless you all. All right, yeah. All right, 1980s. I began to kind of semi-regularly attend here starting in the 80s. Anybody here in the 80s beside my family? All right. Okay. Tom, you started in the 70s, right? I didn't see you weren't over here with the rest of them, all right? Uh, 1990s. Who began to attend here in the 90s? All right, some of you were born in the... All right. Yeah, Cindy, uh, God bless you. There's a good group of you over here. Thank you so much. And I saw Cindy Lee, and she was writing, and she said, when did I start? Oh, that's when I was born. And she, <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, the, from 2000 to 2009, you began to, to attend Nagshead Church. All right, a bigger group. Look around. All right, God bless you. You saw, that is the decade that saw more change um, 
I think, than any other time. And so thank you so much for sticking it out. All right? All right, yeah. I'll clap for the 40s and 50s, but, you know, come on. All right, from 2010 to the present. And so if you're here, stand, and even if it's your first time. All right, I began attending Nags Head Church. All right, and that's the majority of us. God bless you. I'm so glad you're here to celebrate. And that's, God wants us to celebrate. I believe God's all about celebrations because, number one, they're fun and they, they cause us to think about things and to remember things. The Bible tells us that the angels, you think about this, the Bible tells us every time someone, someone's life is turned around toward Christ that the angels in heaven throw a party. That's what the Bible tells us. They rejoice. They have a great time. And, and which tells me, if they do that every time somebody turns toward Christ, they throw a party. Heaven is a non-stop party, which tells me there can't be too many Baptists there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think when we get to heaven, we kind of get into the party. We understand what that's all about. There we go. And uh, uh, we, we've had a great weekend. And, uh, and I want to kind of start this morning with, uh, with telling a story that I think it's just one story from our history, but it's one that, that is really close to my heart. Um, and, and then we're going to talk about some other things and then talk about our future and so forth. Um, in the late 70s, the church purchased a parsonage. Everybody understands what a parsonage is. It's a home for the pastor and his family. They had debated buying a parsonage for years, literally. And... Um, and could never make up their mind. But one came avail- house came available in Kitty Hawk, and they, I think, got a really good price, and they said, let's buy a home for the pastor. So they bought the home. He moved in, lived in it for a year, and then built his own home. So they had this home for a number of years that they rented out. Um, in 1991, they asked me to come and be their pastor. And because the church was so small, it could only afford to give me a part-time salary. And part of that salary was, and we'll give you a house to live in. And so we moved into the house. They allowed us, before we moved in, to make some changes to it. We added a bathroom. We painted. We ripped out the shag carpet. You know, um, (laughs) and uh, moved into that home in 1991. And that was a great blessing to this church, a great blessing to my family. Uh, It it enabled the church to provide us because the house had been paid for uh, by the, they owed no mortgage on it. And and so it was a great blessing to the church. But as the church grew through the 90s, we got to the place in 1999 where financially we could afford to pay the pastor a salary whereby I could actually afford my own home. And uh, so uh, the deal was made where the church sold the house to Gail and I. So we bought the house from the church in 1999. We still live in it. And uh, we bought that house in 99. And, and it was a win-win for both the church and for my family. We were able for the first time in our married life, we've been married at that time for what, 17, 16 years, 15 years, something like that, for, for all my life. We've been married for a, a good while and had never, you know, always rented, never been able to afford a home. So we were able to buy a home. The church had the money from the home, and we had some things that we needed to do. Now, in 1999, how many of you were around back then? 
let, let me just tell you something that you will remember. I mean around here, not, not, not living, but here. Um, uh, 1999, we were, we were having three worship Sunday, or three worship services on Sunday morning. Eight, 9.30, and 11. Three of them. And because that little building there could seat 100 people. And we were, we even had an overflow room. Uh, we took one of the classrooms and, and strung a cable wire from a, a video camera in the back of the auditorium and, and strung it through to that building and hooked it up to a television. And so you c we had closed circuit TV, you know, an overflow room. So how many ever sat in that overflow room? Oh yeah, it was stuffy and hot in there, wasn't it? And it's in the summertime especially. Uh, and so we were out of space three times on Sunday morning. And I was, it was wearing me out. It was making me an old man fast. In 1999, my hair was not gray. I don't think. It was making me an old man because not only was I preaching three times, but I was also leading all the music and, and doing that, playing guitar and so forth. And, uh, and so we said, so we've got to find a way to expand. And so we, there's a drawing out on, the, uh, out on one of the walls over there that shows um, a, a design, a dream, a plan to um, add on to our old building, first with an educational space, about 1,400 square feet, to give us a couple more classrooms and a couple more bathrooms, and then expand the auditorium so that it could seat probably double or 250 people maybe, and then a family life center we hoped would be built about where this building is. And that was our, our dream in 99. That dream never came to fruition. But we took the money that we had from the sale of the home and we said, we gotta do some, we gotta add some parking. We had no park. They had an old concrete parking lot that was built way back and it was in very bad shape and it was very small and we had added some gravel in some other places. So we had that, car, that concrete all ripped up, new parking put in on that side of the old building and then parking on the back of it and then a driveway that came out right about where the, the, the sidewalk is that you came in from the parking lot to get here. Driveway came through there and out to the street. We did some site work. We had been able to purchase several properties in the 90s to add on to what we already had. So we, had, we also hired a company to come in and, and, and clear it all out and level it and everything and get it ready for construction. And we submitted a plan to the town. And I was gone at a conference uh, when, when uh, the town commissioners approved the, the plan. I knew they were going to be talking about it. I was out of state on a conference, and I got a phone call Wednesday night. The town voted yes. Good news! But the bad news was we had spent all of the money from the sale of the home the to the church got, we'd spent all the money on the parking and the site work. There was nothing left to build, but we've got the approval to do it from the town. Now, if you can get the approval from the town of Nags Head to do anything, you've taken a big, that's a reason to praise God. <laughs> Any Nags Head commissioners in here today? All right. All right. But those of you who live in Nags Head know what we're talking about. So I think, God, that's fantastic. They've given us approval to do that. But God, guess what? Not that he doesn't know. We have no money to do a thing. And so that, I remember that Thursday morning I got up. I left early. I left about 7 o'clock. I had a five-hour drive to get back here. And literally the whole drive, I'm praying. And my prayer goes something like this. Okay, God, this is amazing that we've... Um, that we've been able to add this parking and, and, and get the site work done. But God, we've got no room to grow, so our only choices are to stop growing 
or to add another service. And it's killing me, God. And I prayed the whole time, please, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but we need, we need that space. I got home about noon, sat down, made myself a sandwich, and I'm sitting there eating lunch in, in my, my kitchen table, and, and the phone rang. And Gail answered the phone, and she answered it, and she said, here, Rick, it's for you. On the phone was a lady that I had never met, a lady by the name of Connie Burke. Connie still lives here in Nags Head. And Connie says to me on the phone, she says, Rick, I've never met you before. She said, but my husband and I own a house on, on Soundside Road, Soundfront property. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath house there that, our, that my father built many, many years ago. I had actually been in the house and did a wedding um, a vow renewal with a couple years before. I knew the house. She said, we want to build something different on that property, and we want to get rid of that house. Can your church use that 1,400-square-foot house? Can we give it to you? And I started chuckling. And I know she wondered, what's so funny about that? But she didn't know that all morning I've been praying, God, we need some more space, and I don't know how it's going to be paid for. I don't know where it's going to come from. Just a few months later, um, you, that, that house came rolling down uh, Soundside Road and, and adjoined this, this building and gave us a couple more classrooms, a nice big great room for children's things, a nice more modern kitchen than what we had. Um, I, I took one of the bedrooms and it became my office. And so it was, it was a phenomenal gift to us. And God, God provided and, and, uh, and, and God enabled us to use that building for, for a number of years. So we're celebrating today. That's just one story. And, and if we had the time, and I wish we did, I really wish we did, to sit down and tell stories of Nags Head Church that go all the way back, Stanley, to the 40s, you know, um, I wish we could tell the stories of, of how God has done things here and how, how God has used people uh, in, this, in this congregation to, to bring us what, what we have today. So we're celebrating two things this morning that are really one. Uh, we're celebrating the fact that Nagshead Baptist Church was officially chartered as a church in 1956, 60 years ago. I mean, it wasn't in the fall. Actually, the date was June the 17th. Uh, but we found out 10 years ago when we did our 10th, or our, excuse me, our 50th anniversary, we had a picnic. How many of you were at that picnic on that? It was the hottest day of the millennium. All right? We said we can't do this again in the summer. It's just too hot. And so uh, we've moved it to the fall when the weather's a little bit better and it's easier to do things here for us on the Outer Banks than when it's not in the summer. But actually, the, and as we said, the church's embryonic state goes back farther than 1956. It goes back another 10 years um, when a Sunday school was begun. And so today we celebrate our history, and I wanted to include the men and the women that God has used over the years. Certainly can't name them all, but I want to name a few this morning. And we're going to celebrate, too, how God has been faithful to us and with us for these 60 years. We're celebrating this morning the gospel of Jesus Christ that's been proclaimed here from this location 
uh, for seven decades. I said in the first gathering, I had to catch myself on this corner, but when the church began, there was no corner because Southside Road, the, the bypass was not there, and Southside Road just went over to the beach road. And uh, so on this location, for over seven decades, the gospel has been proclaimed. And we're celebrating the men and the women who have come to faith, the children, many children who have come to faith in Christ and have been given the gift of eternal life because of the outreach of Nags Head Church. We're celebrating the sacrifice and the service over the decades of hundreds of volunteers and, and probably close to 100 volunteers today to make what goes on at Nags Head Church happen this morning. And many of those that, that we think about and, and, uh, and, and memories, and you'll see pictures of them in the album, uh, they're now in heaven since that Sunday school began on, uh, in 1946. We're celebrating the church's growth, but not just the numerical growth, but I want to celebrate especially the spiritual growth that so many disciples have begun their journey with Christ when this church began and in the years that have come since. Now, now we have documents that I said, I hope you'll take a look at, at, at all those things because they're fascinating. But this church began, as, and I've done a lot of research. I'm now the official Nags Head Church historian because I've read every bit of every document and minutes that were ever written. Some of it's exciting. Some of it, you, just, you go, SMH. Those of you who do social media, shaking my head. You know what in the world? But um, it began 60, 70 years ago, really in the days right after World War II. And the vision to plant a church on the beach God gave to a woman by the name of Maud Dinwiddie. Um, we got a picture of, and that's the only picture that we know exists, Jenny, is, and, and that's a picture of her, not when she was part of the church plant, but when she was in college, and this must have been back probably like in the World War I era days, you know, way, way back. Maud felt that we need to have a Baptist church on the beach there was a Catholic church down at Wellbone Junction. Some Methodist churches sprinkled about in Collington and Duck and Kitty Hawk. A primitive Baptist church that was hanging in there, barely Stanley, in, in uh, Kitty Hawk. But there needed to be a gospel presence here on the beach. And she, she had this idea, and she told her son Frank, who Frank was the pastor of the Roanoke Island Baptist Church at the time over Airport Road, and 64 there in the north end of Manio about starting a church, getting something going on the beach. And so he took that and took it to his church, and they made an agreement that he would preach on Sunday mornings and do Sunday school on Sunday mornings at Roanoke Island. He would come over to the beach on Sunday afternoons and have a Sunday school. And then he'd go back on Sunday nights and do a Sunday night service at Roanoke Island. So his Sundays were very, very busy. And, and by the way, not only did he preach, but he also led the singing. He also taught Sunday school. He also illustrated his lessons with doing chalk drawings. And uh, quite, quite a talented man and, and, uh, and hardworking, obviously, uh, who began this Sunday school in Nags Head on Easter Sunday, 1946, at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church on Sunday afternoons. The Sunday school continued to meet for 10 years. They started raising funds. We have some books, and I'll be glad to let you look at them, where they began a building fund in 1946. And you can see the ledger, the names of the people who gave everything from 10 cents to $10, you know, to raise the money 
to buy the property and to build a building. They bought two lots to our east. One would be situated where the bypass is right now and another one next to it. One was sold actually to us, to the church, to the Sunday school uh, by the pastor, by Frank Dinwiddie, and the other by another couple with the stipulation that there would always be a church in this location. And for a grand total, by the way, the two lots for a grand total of $20. I think there were more gifts than they were sales. They raised the money to build the chapel, the little white building that we remember so often. It didn't have a steeple on it back then. Steeple didn't come till the late 1960s, late 1967. And that was a subject of topic in business meetings for several years, uh, putting a steeple on the church. Uh, they built that chapel there. What's interesting that most people don't know that I did not realize until doing a lot of this research is that the building was moved because it was originally in the way of the highway. And the state, the church said to the state, if you're going to put a highway through our church, you need to move our building. And the state moved the building to the location where it was. And God wanted it moved there in 1960 because in 1962, the Ash Wednesday storm came and broke an inlet through right here on Soundside Road, destroyed houses right down the street from us, but the church remained on top of a little island. Lots of neat things happened back in those days. And, and um, they, in 1953, the church bought pews, and some of us have sat on those pews. In fact, if you want to see one, there's one upstairs on the balcony right up here, and uh, in, in its uh, kind of its original condition. It's been stripped of all its upholstery, and Steve Wise refinished it, and we have that one pew still. It's up there if you want to go take a, take a seat on it. Uh, in June 17, 1956, 10 members of Roanoke Island Baptist Church were dismissed from that church, for the purpose of starting a Baptist church in Nags Head. Then the next, not the next month, but in August of 56, they had a baptism as a church, baptized 12 more. By the way, they baptized them. Uh, where, where is that location? It's at the, on the causeway uh, there between Nags Head and Manio. Pastor Dinwiddie, they're baptizing those folks. And then seven more transferred from other churches. So the charter membership of this church was 29. 29 folks. And we look back to those pioneers in those days who sacrificed and, and gave to begin our church. It was interesting talking with Jim Bailey. I didn't realize, but Jim Bailey uh, knows some of those pioneering families of this church. They were good friends of his back in the 1950s. We look back to those people, and they were the foundation, humanly speaking, of this local body of believers. And I thank God for all those folks in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s that held on to what God had given them here. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful. But, uh, but this morning, I kind of want to move on past that and really give credit to where credit is due. We would not be the church that we were then, that we are not now, if it was simply a movement of people. Jesus said this about the church, and this was the first time the church was mentioned by him in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said, And on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. That's what Christ said. Well, the rock that he was mentioning there was was. Peter's statement that you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. 
And he said, well said, Peter. And I'm going to take that statement. It's a rock. It's a big rock. It's a boulder. Some people want to say that Peter was the rock. Jesus used a different word when he called Peter the rock. He used the word that means pebble for Peter. He used the word for the other rock that means boulder. And upon this boulder that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build my church. So the point is this. Apart from Christ, there is no genuine church. Apart from Christ, there would be nothing of eternal significance happening at 105 West Soundside Road in Nags Head. So today I want us to celebrate our builder, Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this. He, he knows everything before it happens, doesn't he? He's omniscient. God knows everything. He knew that from the inception of Nags Head Church, he knew that the gospel would be preached here. That's why he chose Frank Dinwiddie, because he preached the gospel. He knew that. He knew that throughout our years, especially in the 70s, the 60s, late 60s through the 80s, he knew there would be some highs and some lows and some very, very deep lows in this church's existence. He knew that the witness, however, of this church over the years would bring men and women and youth and children to saving faith. He knew the members would expand our facilities over the years from a tiny chapel originally with two restrooms and a coal-burning stove to provide the heat to include classrooms and a kitchen back in the 50s and then another couple of classrooms in the 60s. He knew, he knew a house that was built on Soundside Road would be rolled down the street to give us more room to grow and he knew that one day we would have to tear it all down to provide space for growth in the future. And he knows what's coming next. He knew that we would, from this place, send out from Nags Head Church, people who belong to this church, missionaries to many different places in the world. He knew that. He knew we'd support missions around the world. And here's the thing I want you to realize, too. I want to think about what Jesus knew. He knew you'd be seated in the seat where you're seated right this moment today. He knew you would be here exactly where you are. He knows that. And that's important to us to realize. When I'm, and he's, he knew it and he saw it happen because over these 60 years, because his plan was and his plan is and will continue to be for Nags Head Church to do what we've always been about, and that is to go into the world and make disciples and teach them, baptize them, teach them to obey and observe everything that Christ has commanded. Reach our world with his gospel. And so we are Nags Head Church. This is... This is our birthday we're celebrating. We are the church that he has built. Now, I have some experience in construction, and I've done a lot of things at my home since, since I purchased it. I've added some things and some big projects and some smaller projects, and maybe you have too at your house. You go out to, to Lowe's or Home Depot or, or the lumber yard, and you're going to build something at your house, even if it's something tiny. But you go, and, and I don't know about you, but I don't call them up and say, bring me a load of this or that if it's lumber. Because they'll just take whatever's on the pile and throw it on the truck. And when it shows up at your house, you got warped and twisted and knotty and, and split pieces of wood that you really can't use. And then you got to call them and say, come back and get this and give me something better. I, don't, I go down and hand pick out of the pile what I want to use, whether it's decking or whatever it might be. Because I'm looking for boards. I'm looking for lumber that's straight. I'm looking for lumber that's not, not twisted, 
not warped. I'm looking for lumber that's not full of knots because knots are weaknesses in the strength of the board. So I handpick the lumber that I use because I want to use in the construction that I'm about to do, I want to use the very best. I don't want to build it out of any junk, of anything that's messed up. And that's the way we do. Some of you guys, you've, you've built and you say, that's exactly my approach to it as well. But you know, that's not how Jesus builds. He doesn't build that way. When Jesus builds, he doesn't build like me. He goes out and he looks for imperfect people to build his church. He looks for the warped. He looks for the broken. He looks for the twisted. He looks for the torn. He looks for the hurting. He looks for those that their past is checkered. They're full of knots, if you will. And he looks for people like us who are imperfect, and he brings us by his grace. He transforms us and straightens us out, if you will, and strengthens us with his word and with the power of his Holy Spirit. And he's got something then to build his church with. That's what he's been doing here for 60 years. Christ has built us into his church here at Nags Head. Now, what allows a church to continue on? 60 years is, is not a really long time, but I've heard the statistics that a church from start till it's, it really reaches its peak, AJ, is 20 years. And then after 20 years, things begin to decline. That's just what happens, typically. How does a church keep from declining like that? How does a church keep growing? How does the church keep presenting Christ with the materials with which he can continue to build? How does that happen? Well, if a church is going to continue to, to, to grow and to, to build and to continue to be the witness it, it started out to be, it's got to be about its commitment to God's purposes. What a shame. What a shame. It had been, it would have been, if those original 29 men and women had simply drawn tight together and kept their faith to themselves, and when, then as they passed, as they died, or as they moved away, what Christ started here in Nag's head died with them. How horrible would that have been? But that didn't happen. And we're here today in 2016 as a testimony to their commitment and Christ's continued building in this church. Mrs. Dinwiddie was in my grandparents' generation. And that means that the life of this church, if I've added it up correctly, is at least five generations that this church has passed on to five different generations. So the point in your notes is this. The church lives when the faith is passed generation to generation. The Bible speaks about generational things. I found a bunch of verses in the Psalms that teach us this. Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. And that's been true here in this congregation, every generation. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Your people, the sheep of your pasture, will thank you forever. We will declare your praise to generation after generation. Psalm 145, verse 4 says, Our generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. And in the next 
verses for people like me. Mark Bissell for people like you. When, when I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me. Then I will proclaim your power to another generation, your strength to all who are to come. Now, we all know of churches, I'm sure, that for whatever reasons are now a shell of what they used to be. Maybe you drive by them, and they seem to be abandoned. They're overgrown, and you know, never see any activity. Uh, I wonder what happened there. wonder what they were like when they first began. But now their doors are closed. The windows are shuttered. It's unkept. Does anybody even take care of it? We've all driven... Last Sunday, I, I attended um, a church up in Chesapeake that we're closely associated with here in our church. And it's a church that is exploding and growing. In fact, they've just purchased new property. They just had their groundbreaking uh, ceremony a, a month or so ago because the, the property and the buildings they have now, they have five Sunday services, five. Um, and, and they're out of room. They're out of space. So they've purchased new property where they can build and expand and grow. I went to that church, and, and the, the service was over at 11, and so as I left, I was driving, heading up to Newport News to catch a plane. And so I'm going to drive by and visit the church where Gail and I used to be part of back in the mid-1980s. Um, it was a church that in the 1970s was approaching 1,000 people in attendance and just doing amazing things. I passed another church, by the way, on the way, and we're, I'm talking about driving a mile from the church where I worshiped. Passed another church that I'm familiar with, that I have friends who, who are part of that church, and, and as I drove by, they were having their worship service, and they had, they, they had a policeman standing out to get ready to help get the cars into the traffic because they had so much overflow in that building. But then I went to the, the church where we used to belong in Chesapeake. And so I just want to see how it's going. I, I kind of had an idea. I drove around to the back where the cars were all parked. And the church that at one time was busting out of the seams had a dozen cars in the parking lot. Twelve. And that's heartbreaking. And, and sure, there are a lot of reasons, I'm sure, why that's happened. And I could probably enumerate several myself of what's going on there. Um, but they're, they're a shell of what they used to be. Now all they have is to look back on the good old days. There were times when this church's future seemed dim. Uh, for many, many years it did not grow for lots and lots of reasons. But I want to tell you something. When Christ makes a promise, he keeps it. And Christ said, I will build my church. He doesn't do it on our timetable, by the way, necessarily. And he kept this church alive, and the Outer Banks was growing, and the lost who were coming into this community needed the witness of this church to continue. And so God began to bring in new people into the church, and those new people brought in some new ideas, and they brought in passion to reach the community. People like, uh, I'll point out, people like Alan Marilyn Dolly, who used to load up their two automobiles every Sunday and pick up kids along Collington Road who had, their parents weren't Christians and these kids had never heard the gospel and Marilyn would go by and knock on their door and say hey would you like to come to Sunday school with me and she loaded up 
her husband's station wagon and her Volkswagen minibus until we bought a van for her. But God brought people like them. By the way, Maryland's memorial service will be next Sunday here at 2 o'clock, so I hope you'll be able to make that. More changes happened, and I think those changes were the catalyst for growth because we discovered that if we knew God's purposes, if this church was not going to be about our plans and our desires, but His, we would be a healthy church, and healthy churches are doing God's plan. Next point is this. The church can't be afraid to change its methods, but it must never change its message. And so in the last 20, 25 years, almost 26 now that I've been here, we've seen some big changes, and most churches resist change, but God was building us, and we never, in the midst of all that, never compromised our beliefs. We've never watered down the message. We still stand solid on the rock of Jesus Christ and his word. So I come to this part in the message, and I say, wonder with you. So what's ahead? And uh, let me just kind of cut to the chase and say, some things I have an idea about what's ahead. We're getting ready to do a missions thing that's going to rock your world. Let me just say to you, start saving your money in your piggy bank because you're going to need to buy some plane tickets. If you don't have a passport, get one. Because we're going to be going to another part of the world as a church, as teams, to help churches and pastors and villages that do not have a gospel witness to establish churches. It's going to be an exciting thing. In fact, Tom and Steve are getting on a plane uh, this week and, and going to learn more about this opportunity. Uh, but I think in the future, just as God has done so many times in the years past, God's going to do some things to, to shake us up. I think that's what God does to get our attention at times. You know, we get complacent with things the way they are, and God says it's time to rattle their cage. And I think God's getting ready to do that. I think part of all the things that are happening in our country and in our culture and politically, I think it's, all it is is God saying, I'm getting ready to do something amazing and new in the church. I'm getting ready to cause the church to really get back to what we need to be about in this country. And God's getting ready to bring some revival like the Great Awakening in the 1700s. But whatever God does, we have to be firmly committed and surrendered and prayerful because we've got to be ready. And well, listen to me, church. We've got to be ready to take the risks. God's constantly looking. What's God going to do? Well, I'll tell you what God's doing. He's constantly looking for non-believers who are seeking him to find him. He's going to continue doing that. We continue want to present the gospel to people who don't know it, that they might come to know Jesus Christ and have his eternal life. You may be here today and you don't understand what that's about, and you may say, well, listen, I've been going to church my whole life, and um, the bad news for you is that's not God's standard. Well, what is God's standard? God's standard is perfection. Well, wait a second. Nobody's perfect, preacher, exactly. So what God did was because nobody's perfect, God made an exchange. And God looked at his son, the father looked at his son, Jesus, and he said, I want you to go to the earth and I want you to live and die on a cross. The perfect son of God so that your perfection 
can be traded for mankind's sinfulness. And so he did that, and then God sends out an appeal to you and me, and most of us in this room have answered that appeal that says, hey, would you like to be free of your sin? Would you like to exchange it for something far better? And he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. God said, let's make a trade. Let's make a deal. That's the greatest deal you could ever get in on. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, the good news is, the bad news is, you're not perfect. The good news is, he wants to give you his righteousness, and he can do that today if by faith you'll, you'll believe, you'll trust in Jesus Christ. Not only is God looking for unbelievers, he's looking for church, he's looking for believers. Guests, he's looking for believers. He's looking for men and women, women who maybe have not bought into the vision of Nags Head Church, but you're attending here, and he's saying, look, it's time you bought in. It's time you became part of what they're doing here. After 60 years, we still haven't shared the gospel with everybody around us. There are still lost people in my neighborhood and yours, and we need to reach them for Christ, and we'd love to have you join the team if you're looking for a church home. God's looking. God's saying to us, be faithful. I don't know what he's going to do in the near future. I don't know what he's going to do 10 years from now. But I think he's going to do some amazing things because that's been his pattern. And I want to be in on it. How about you? I don't want to be one of those naysayers. I don't want to be one of those people who says it can't be done. I want to be right there on the cutting edge when he says go. I want to say we're going and get her done whatever it might be. Let's pray. Thank you, Father in heaven. I pray, God, that you'll help us continue as a church what was begun 70 years ago on an Easter Sunday with a Sunday afternoon Sunday school. I thank you for the vision of a woman. You spoke to and through a woman to begin this church. Thank you, God, that she listened, that her heart was sensitive. And thank you that others followed through on that vision. And may that vision continue here to reach this community and reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the word of God. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let me say one more thing to you before we're going to go out with a song. If in 60 years, we're in 2016, add 60 years to right now and you get 2076. Am I right? Is that right, Ralph? I won't be here. Most of us in this room will not be here. And if Jesus has not returned by then, here's a question I want us to ask. Will this church continue to love God? Will this church continue to love others? Will this church continue to reach the world? You say, well, I don't know. I won't be here. Here's how you can know. We have the responsibility in 2016 to lay the foundation for those generations that come after us. How do I do that? By my life, by my words, by my devotion to the Lord, by my faithfulness to him and to his church. I would hope and pray. Here's, here's my hope and my prayer. We built this building in 2007. We entered it in 2007, approximately 57 years after the first building was built. I, I hope, 
and again, my, this is my grandchildren I'm talking about, but I hope in, in another 50 years, they look at this building and say, it's not enough. It won't do the job. Let's tear it down and build a new one. And I don't think there's anybody that's going to say, what do you think old Rick will think about that? Because they'll say, Rick who? <laughs> but I want them to know right now, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll throw the party in heaven when that happens, if this church is continuing in 60 years and growing and reaching this world if Christ has not returned. But it starts right here with you, Nagsid Church. That will happen, 60 years, if we continue to do what we're called to do today. Get it? Got it? Good. All right. Let's stand and sing. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God. Love others. Reach the world.